Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Big Nose. This week in The Big Nose, we will be reviewing what was making the headlines. Well, guys, the week that was, I suppose... There was only one dominating story on the international stage, and that was the election of the next president of the United States of America and the Trump and Biden campaigns going at it, hammer and tongs up till the very last moment, and then the fallout from that. So we will look back at that, see where we're at today, Sunday, uh, November 8, four, five days after election day, and see if we've had a result. On a domestic front, there wasn't that much making the news other than the apology given by the Tarnishta to the doll and him reflecting on the process in which he went through the leaking of confidential or arguably confidential uh, documents to a GP. So we'll be looking at that in more detail. And then I probably the most important topic to reflect on on the week is the fact that in our household we took the decision or I was instructed to do so and follow suit with the erection of a Christmas tree and the decorating of the apartment. I want to go through that, give you my thoughts on why we actually did it um, how it actually went about and you know what reflect on whether or not it's the right thing to do or are we just that little bit too early. I suppose looking back we'll start on the domestic front and look back towards the earlier part of the week and look at a situation that developed from an article uh, in the Village magazine, now famous, that kind of leaked or made more public the situation between now Tanishta, or then Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, and a friend or acquaintance or fellow professional or whatever he wants to be phrased as, depending on his association with Leo, uh, Dr. Matthew O'Toole, which I won't try and pronounce in Gaelga, because my Irish isn't the May West and my pronunciation is much worse. So the situation is and on the crux of it, in my opinion, and looking back and getting an insight into what was going on between Leo Varadkar and Matthew O'Toole. At the time, back in April, um, Leo Varadkar was Taoiseach and he had previously been Minister for Health. Obviously, at that stage, government were in talks with the IMMO, the Irish Medical Organisation, and they were talking about agreements in terms of pay restoration after what went on during the cutbacks and the austerity that went after Ireland entered the recession in 2008-2009 onwards. And they were coming together and trying to get the unions on board. Now, you have to be aware of the timeline with this. Obviously, prior to April um, 2019, there was discussions between parties. Um, and unfortunately, the party, as it transpires, um, that the Dr. Matthew O'Toole was akin to, and he was president of the, I think it's the National Association of General Practitioners, now gone into liquidation since July 2019. But he was the president of the National Association of General Practitioners. And... He was as an associate, a friend, as he would describe it, I suppose. Um, and he has had um, social interactions and was in the phone book of Taoiseach uh, Leo Varadkar at the time. So what happened was the IMMO uh, reached agreement with the government, um, the details of which 
were then shared with the IMMO and these details were disclosed by the MMO in terms of the financial implications and and it's actually true to say that I went onto their website and looked in their publications and was able to get the details of the agreement with the government on that um, document was published on the 5th of the 4th. Argument is that um, Leo Varadkar inappropriately disclosed this information to Dr. O'Toole some stage a week later between the 11th and the 16th of April and the reason he disclosed this was because he believed it was in the public domain as that and he wanted the doctor's feedback because he was the president of the uh, NAGP and he wanted to see if they could bring them along as well even though that they had been excluded from the talks. The uh, NAGP were not part of the Irish Congress of Trade Unions they had been uh, left outside of the talks. Leo Varadkar was doing what I would consider a level of back-channeling. He was trying to give information to people he felt that would be important to give information to. And this is what he said. And try and get them on board. As many people on board. If he felt that the IMMO was coming on board, he probably felt that if they were to agree with the terms and conditions, it is a possibility that the NAGP, or the NAGP might be able to come along with that. Now, the NAGP were kind of talking against the agreements that the IMMO had come up with in terms of what they had agreed with the government in terms of restoration of pay, T's and C's. And that's kind of the timeline. So it's true to say that the document and the details of the document had been released prior to the documents being posted out privately to uh, Dr. Matthew O'Toole by the Taoiseach at the time. It is correct to say that the, the NAGP had been left outside of the uh, talks and discussions in terms of what was going into this document and agreement. And it is also true to say, and revelations have come, that the, the minister of the t at the time, the minister of health at the time, um, Simon Harris, had no knowledge of, of this going on uh, from Leo Varadkar. Now, in a statement, and this is where we're at during the week, the accusation that Leo has become quite leaky and off the back of um, information coming out of Nefes um, and the, uh, the accusations being laid at Leo Varadkar's door that maybe he is possibly one of the people who was um, leaking this information, which there is no evidence to suggest it, but there is conversations going on that this is the person who was doing it. I don't know that if that to be the fact, so I can't say it was him. But it all transpires into creating an optic of Leo the leak, and unfortunately, enough stuff thrown at the wall sometimes it sticks. And I think in terms of the tabloid newspapers in Ireland, um, you know, Leo the leak rolls off the tongue so easily, and it plays into this um, presentation that he, he is quite. Uh, a person for giving information across which I, I have no evidence to suggest that he, he is but looking at how he addressed these um, accusations these qualms what was the big problem in terms of everybody's opinion and what was done wrong I think to say back channeling within government doesn't go on would be to be in the very naive of what goes on in, in public in private discussion Back channeling is something that is done in politics. It's to try and unofficially get people on board and try to have conversations that are off the record. And this happens politics. It happens, and it's important that it happens. Um, the reason we know it happens is because it benefits, and it can, and certain in situations, benefit people because it's easier to have that conversation and off the record, and people not to be able to lose face and possibly bring people along. While it's totally correct to say that the information might be financially delicate it might be confidential and it's probably inappropriate for the information to be shared 
But at the same time, this type of conversation needs to be had. And again, I would say if you are of the opinion that it shouldn't happen, it shouldn't happen. And I, I think I totally agree. But the fact that it does happen, if you say it doesn't happen, then you're totally naive. It does happen. And I think the one question we'd have to have is Leo Varadkar. He is, he was, he will be uh, the Taoiseach again. And he was the Taoiseach and he is now the Taoiseach. And, you know, you don't get to be the Taoiseach of a country or the Prime Minister of a country if you don't have a, a sense of, are allowing to be in control, to be in power. And I think listening to his apology or his address to uh, the doll, it's obvious that he had unfinished business, in his opinion, that he wanted to get done. And sometimes when you're a person who likes having control of a situation, you can't leave behind what you need to leave behind and move on to the new role within politics and feel like you have unfinished business. So he obviously felt he had unfinished business in terms of getting the IMO on board, in terms of the agreement to try and get the GPs back on board and, and improve the service, which is a commendable opinion. But he was using the power of the Taoiseach's office, in his opinion, to try and move this along in an expedited way, which is fine and is appropriate, I suppose. But there's ways in which you have to go about this. And I think it is a case that it was found out that he had used back channels to get to Dr. Matthew O'Toole and get to the NAGP and when it came to light now down the road it doesn't look and the process of the contact procedure isn't correct it has to be questioned so yes he apologised for the process in which he does and the process in which he went about contacting the, the people in the NAGP but what will the follow of this be? I think it creates um and it, it is beneficial to the opposition within Ireland, chiefly um, Sinn Féin, that it looks like the government is going from bad to worse in terms of its communication and its uh, accountability in terms of how it does its own business and tries to help create cr cracks between Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Green Party. In terms of my own opinion, I think it's a case of this is it. There was an agreement in the process of happening between Leo Varadkar, the government of the day and the IMO. Leo Varadkar had been Minister for Health and he had not got this across the line. Simon Harris was unaware that Leo Varadkar was doing this and this is this is really undermining of Simon Harris. He went and he gave across what you could consider confidential, although I was able to find it in the public domain on their website, on the IMS Wolf's website. But I'm sure the detail within the documentation, within the, the report that Taoiseach gave to Dr. Matthew uh, O'Toole, was a little bit more detailed than was put on the website and I can appreciate that but it is not really the fact that the information was shared it's a it's a big factor but it's the process in which it was shared if you are a person outside of the talks you should not be able to ascertain documentation from the one of the people involved in the talks that being the the prime minister of the day and whether he was a friend or whether he was an acquaintance or whether he's someone who was um, a stakeholder or an outside stakeholder in these talks, Leo Varadkar should have done this through official channels. And I think that's what he accepts at the end of the day. He portrays an image of trying to do it with the best intentions, which you have to take on his word, because the reason we elect these people into office is because we have faith in what they're doing. And while we not all agree on the people who are there, we also have to agree that the reason we have people there is to give representation to us and we have to accept the democratic will of the people who will go on to talk about further in the next topic so yes i would say leo has a lot to apologize for he has a lot to learn for and going forward he needs to be as clean as they come because conversations like this 
why we accept they have to happen, you need to be able to judge people. And a big part of this is being able to judge whether or not this information will get into the public domain. There was a lot done in terms of the peace process in Northern Ireland in terms of back-channeling. And that worked to, for, to a, a, greater, a greater extent in terms of back-channeling. And not, nobody lost face. Um, but we need to be aware that in a modern society where information is so easily shared that we need to make sure that they're done through the protocols and procedures that are laid down by government bodies. And I think Leo needs to accept that he was at fault here. He needs to learn that going forward, he needs to be careful who he uh, engages with in terms of back-channeling, which will have to go on on any level. It will have to go on. There's no other way about it. And he has to be aware that people who he's back-channeling need to be stake a large stakeholders in this because look at what happened with the NAGP. They went out of existence. They didn't have very many members. So we need to be aware of who we're back-channeling with. And that's very important. And yes, it's all about optics as a leader. And he needs to be aware that what he does, how he does it, and how it comes across, and how it comes out, and how it is revealed, is important. From moving from one leader to another leader, we look at fallout and the goings on in the presidential election of the United States of America. As we speak, as I sit here in front of the mic, Joe Biden has become president-elect. He has got over the 270, as I as, as I explained last week, in terms of electoral votes. And he is now uh, the president-elect. And, well, how did he get there, I suppose? Looking back to Tuesday, polling day, and then into, I think it was Wednesday morning, Generally speaking, when we wake up in Ireland on Wednesday morning around 7am, we'll have a result. But this year was completely different. The early polls and the pollsters suggested that there was going to be quite a landslide for Joe Biden. The exit polls that they conducted suggested there was going to be a large landslide. You know what? It was an extremely record-breaking election if you look at the numbers that are involved. Joe Biden, as we, as we stand here, has received over 74 million votes. Uh, the highest ever received by any sitting uh, candidate or incumbent president. The second highest votes ever recorded in the history of American American election was by the runner-up in this election, as it would seem to be. Uh, and as it stands, President Trump has received just over 70 million. I think it's like an increase of 3.5 million. And within that, it creates its own conversation of how does somebody who, according to polls and news outlets, has um, polarised the country, received more votes than they did in the last election. And as I said, that is a different conversation for another day, and we might something like we might return to. But in terms of the timeline of the election, and it's important to probably um, you know frame it within a timeline, the Americans went to the polls, there was long queues, there was dropping off ballots, drive-through ballots. It was like anybody who wanted to vote, who was legally allowed to vote, was able to vote whether they had the drive-through ballots, whether they had the postal ballots, and there was a whole conversation about the postal ballots. As long as they had a stamp on them on, on the day of the election, I think it was the 3rd of November, they would be counted and they will come in. And I think the great comparison we have between this election and the previous election is, of course, the turnout was huge, but also the time it took to get a result. Traditional states generally went with their traditional parties, the Republican and Democratic states. And as I explained last week in, in the US special, uh, there's safe states and swing states, and swing states move around depending on the demographic, uh, the releasing of the res results as well. And you know what? I said last week in the special that Florida and Pennsylvania were going to be the most crucial states in this election in terms of getting a result 
for the winning president. Florida came in fairly early doors and it went with Trump. And then Texas, which I touched, touched on with its 39, 38, 39 electoral votes came in fairly early for Trump. And as much as Biden had an early start in a lot of the votes, because depending on the state you were living in, post-in votes were counted early in some states. So they had them already counted. So they put the results in immediately. And Biden took an early lead. For a lot of people in the Democratic Party, they were following the instruction of the Biden campaign, the Biden-Harris campaign, in terms of getting the vote in early, don't be turning out, don't be mixing in this COVID-19 um, pandemic. Post it into us and we'll get the result across to you. And a lot of the Trump and Harris, sorry, a lot of the Biden-Harris followers did this and they got this across. So we saw an early lead in a lot of states for the Harris campaign and the Biden campaign and that was fine and then you know what as as the evenings went on and we got into Wednesday evening Trump started to come in a little bit stronger in some of these states and you know Michigan and Wisconsin was very close Pennsylvania was very close Nevada Arizona Georgia very close and these would end up being the the key swing states in terms of the results that we got to in the end so we were getting there and then the results were coming in and and you know Trump was coming back in a couple of states because a lot of Trump supporters came out on the day, which meant that some states were counting the votes on the day and Trump was going ahead in those counts and those um, t their tallies, as they call them. Biden was kind of going down and then all of a sudden, you know, we were at a stage where we were kind of in stalemate for come Thursday evening. I think Biden was on 253, Trump was on 214 and we had Michigan, uh, declared we had Wisconsin declared so we were left with Pennsylvania, Nevada, Arizona, Alaska, Georgia and North uh, North Carolina. Now as it, as we sit here as I sit here in front of the mic, the ones that are outstanding, okay, uh, Georgia is still outstanding. Um Nevada is still outstanding. We have Pennsylvania recently called. We have Alaska. So I think there's five left uh, to declare but as of I think it was 4 p.m. Irish time on Saturday afternoon, there was a change. Pennsylvania had been declared likely or projected as likely to go with Biden and that brought him over the 270 mark. It brought him to 273 and then Arizona came in and then brought him up to six um, college votes. So brought him up to 279. So as I sit here in front of the mic, it's 279 to um, Biden, I should say. Well, that started an absolute Ferrari across Twitter, across the evenings, across Wednesday evening across Thursday and Friday evening Biden made an address a lot of them short and 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 uh, flanked by his running mate Camilla Harris he was coming across as very presidential he came across as very calm and he was calling out for people to be patient he needed people to be with him he needed a level of calmness as Trump was responding to these addresses that he was making in person Trump made one address in person from the White House it was very um, unusual for a president to make such an address because it was casting a shadow and a question over the democratic uh, process within the United States, which no sitting president has ever done. And it is not very presidential in comparison to what president now elect Biden was uh, saying is that we need to count every vote. We need to have patience. We need to do this through a democratic policy. We need to have faith in the people who are overseeing this election and then you had the unusual situation where you had the personal solicitor or lawyer for donald trump coming out my former mayor of new york rudy giuliani coming out and casting aspersions on the 
credibility of the count processes in a number of states, in particular Pennsylvania, touching on Wisconsin, Mich Michigan, Arizona and Nevada. And, you know, casting aspersions on the people who are cast holding these elections in these counties. I think that up to now there's been 11 litigations um, processed. Some of them are being upheld, some of them are being closed. There was a huge furore over the fact that people couldn't get in and monitor them. A lot of this is made to be made out to be that the election has been in a fraud and, and has been held under um, false pretenses. And, you know, a lot of the votes that have been counted have been fakes or haven't been signed properly or have been signed by people who are dead and no longer with us, have been signed with Sharpies, which means the ink went through. So there's three votes where there should only be one vote. There has been intimidation at the polls. There has been many furious um, things said to question any of the processes that are being put in place by these states. And I suppose this is not surprising considering Trump from the outset of this election campaign and from probably months, months prior to that, he was casting doubt over the ability for this election to go ahead via postal voting. Trump's responses were fairly incoherent. One minute he was saying stop counting the votes, next minute he was saying count all the legal votes. You know, this is really showing his true colours in terms of how much of an incoherent leader that he is. Using Twitter when Joe Biden was doing it in person really sets, sets apart what type of leader he was. He was hiding behind the keyboard, as we might say, and, and a lot of us are aware of how he does his campaigning. And that's fine, that's his, his uh, modus operandi. But one thing we have to look at is the comparison between the two. And it's very important to have a look at Joe Biden, president-elect is an Irishman, I suppose, of Irish descent. Um, and we have all seen the things flying around on WhatsApp, Instagram and whatever in terms of the response he gave to the BBC journalist who asked him a question, which is uh, quite funny, I think, and, and bodes well for us in the future should he become president in 2021. But one thing we have to look back on in terms of looking at the nation now, the United States or the ununited, I suppose, states of America, it was interesting to look at the speech that Camilla Harris gave last night in terms of declaring the win for them and then followed on by President-elect Joe Biden. You know, it is clear that from this election, there is a huge division between American societies and there's a lot that Joe Biden has to do. And in terms of what his ability will be able to do in terms of having the House of representatives of the test of the senate you know capitol hill might not be his most favorite place to play um, going forward if the divisions are as widespread as the election has shown you cannot go beyond this um discussion and not say that donald trump didn't perform well he did perform well he performed extremely well he got an increase in terms of the popular vote of i think three and a half million people so you have to look at it 60 odd million people looked at what he did and said, yeah, I want four more years of that. And three and a half million people looked at it and said, yeah, I agree with those six, 60 and a half million people. Let's go and do this again. And only that the Democrats had a machine of a campaign that they were able to get it across the line. If he had came up against anybody else, I don't think they would have been able to beat Trump. As a footnote, Kanye West at the moment has 65,000 votes. There is a bigger discussion. We might just discuss this at a later date. But the fallout of this election, there is going to be a huge need for Joe Biden to bring this country together again. Not just in terms of the country itself, but for the wider world as well. Never before has a country been so divided in terms of the United States. I think looking at Biden and looking at the approach he's going to have, he will have to be a non-partisan or he will have to be a bipartisan president. And I think it's what he made a comment on last night in terms of his speech. He will have to be the president of the United States, the president of the people, not a democratic president. Not a Republican president. He will have to be the president of the United States. 
he will have to reach out to those people who voted for Trump in their millions, tens of millions, and get them to come along and listen to what they had to say in terms of what they need. And for a lot of it, it's more of a central southern states and what is going to affect them. There has been a huge uh, thing made of the split between the educated and the uneducated. Just because you're educated doesn't mean you're any more important than the uneducated. Um, there is a societal equilibrium need to be addressed in terms of the Black Lives Movement. And this is really what got them across the line in terms of Joe Biden and Camilla Harris. They really, the, the, the African-American societies came out and supported them, backed them to the hilt, um, and he got them across the line in a lot of the states. You look at the look at the division between rural and urban. In a lot of the states where Biden was behind, when the cities were counted, Biden got ahead. He was winning two as to one, upwards of 70 to 80 percent in a lot of the cities. So you have to look at urban sprawl and it's the urban sprawl kind of creating a larger platform for the Democrats to come through as the cities grow outwards. Does that shrink the importance of the rural? It surely doesn't. As we said, one person's life isn't or one person's vote isn't more important than the other. But Biden needs to address this now. He needs to sit down with the Republicans. He needs to look inwards in terms of the Democratic Party and address what is the future of America and how will it look like in 2021, 22 and going into the future. And that's without even looking at the biggest thing that will face his presidential career in terms of COVID-19 and the economy. Going from all that heavy stuff to what I think is a little bit lighter and a little bit more carefree and a little bit more upbeat. Today is the 8th of November. Yesterday I spent most of the day with my beautiful fiance putting together our Christmas decorations. You know what, you only realise how much you have until you start pulling it out from under the beds, from the hot press, from the storage rooms you have in the place. You know what, the biggest question I had, is it too early? That's the question. Is it too early to be putting up the Christmas tree? Why did we put it up? Well, last week I was a little bit drunk and we were talking about Halloween being over and I was following Carmel and on Instagram and I think on Twitter and he said something about it. midnight tonight on Halloween Eve or Halloween on the 31st or whatever it was we put up the, the Christmas tree and I was like yeah, probably 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 we should do that and um, we need something to feel good in this COVID-19 this lockdown we're having at the moment here in Ireland you know what Christmas tree can only bring cheerful times and make happy times and a lot of us I'm not saying everybody but a lot of us have memories within ourselves of a better time a time of joy happiness excitement goodwill positivity when we see a christmas tree and we remember christmas here and that is why i agreed to putting up the christmas tree traditionally we would put the christmas tree up for the thai, late late thai show for anybody who is not familiar with the late late thai show or ireland it is basically a religious occasion it's a religious day within the Catholic calendar that isn't recognised by the Vatican. Um, it is when we as a nation sit down on a Friday evening and we all get into pyjamas within our household generally that look similar. We get the popcorn in, we get the sweets in, we watch the news and then we sit down and we look at a man on TV reviewing presents with a group of children. And this man, for the last number of years, has been Ryan Tuberty. Prior to that, it was Pat Kenny. And prior to that, and in the first instance, it was Gay Bourne, the late Gay Bourne, who was one year dead this week. So looking at it, this year it is going to be completely different. Uh, but it is going ahead. And, and normally that's when we would get the Christmas tree up. And I will give you a little anecdote in terms of our first Christmas here in this apartment a little bit later on. So 
looking back and looking into this and doing a little bit of research for the podcast, I was trying to figure out and find out is there any etiquette, is there any rules in, gar- in regard to putting up Christmas decorations? Is there any, you know, rules and regulations? Well, not rules and regulations, what am I saying? Rules and etiquettes in terms of when you should put it up, when you should take it down. I think we all know that you should take it down around about the fir- end of the first week in January, which is the 5th or 6th or whatever. Around about then, that's the 12 days of Christmas as far as I remember. So yeah, we did that, had a look at it. And you know what? It was quite interesting. The RTE Guide had something within it uh, last year where they got in contact with an etiquette expert. Now, I don't know what an etiquette expert has to do in terms of degrees or, you know, how you become an etiquette expert. But an etiquette expert called Joe uh, Byrant, and he basically said, or she basically, Joe, he, she, I'm not sure, I never looked at it. They. They said, um... There are no rules. So there's no rules in terms of when you can put your Christmas tree up or when you can put it down. And I totally accept that. There is no rules. Obviously, you can have it up all year round if you wanted to pay for the electricity bill. But in terms of getting, you know, an idea of are we getting a little bit earlier every year? If we look towards America, as a lot of these holidays have, look, using the word holidays, of these occasions or these holidays um, come from, or sorry, have developed from in terms of how we celebrate them, the American influence is there again. You know, we have the Thanksgiving. And for a lot of people, we didn't know what Thanksgiving was. It was a holiday that the Americans did. But now we're getting a little bit more familiar with it. And Thanksgiving, for a lot of us, is a consideration of a, the start of Christmas. Because we look at it, they have a traditional turkey dinner or whatever it is. And they give thanks for each other. And it's, it buys into the, 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 the holiday season over there. That has kind of, in the more, more recent years, kind of merged into one, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving. And... And all of a sudden, it's a longer, it's a longer festive period. And there's actually a clue in the name if you look at it. It's Christmas decoration, Christmas tree. And in the Catholic or Christian calendar, you know, Advent is the start of the the church year. So the first Sunday in Advent is the start of the year. So, you know, if you're putting up your Christmas decorations for Christmas, you're probably probably on the lines of putting it up towards the start of December. You know, but I think in Ireland we have a little bit of a caveat on that going into the Late Late Toy Show. Um, in terms of the story, the little anecdote that I want to give across to you um, in terms of our first Christmas here in this apartment. And you know what, we put it up, put it up on the 7th. I think the Toy Show is the, is the first weekend in December this year. You need to check that out on your Google. But when we were here for our first Christmas, we went and we had a look for our Christmas tree. And I've always had a large Christmas tree. Generally, when I was a child, we had a real Christmas tree. But putting up a real Christmas tree on the 7th of November will not last, not even till the end of November. So we'd be looking at buying another one. So we decided for the apartment and for just ease of um, cleaning and what have you purposes to get a artificial or fake news, a fake tree. And we went to Woody's and when we moved in, we moved in here on uh, the start of November and we went into Woody's two years ago and we had a look around and there was a massive tree, I think it was six and a half foot or whatever on display and it came with all the decorations and it was a few hundred quid and we said, go on, we'll get that, we'll get that because it's an investment piece, you'll have it for the next 10 years. If you get 10 years out of it, it's great, you know, so we went and we bought it and um, that was grand and we, we were getting it delivered. We're getting it from Woody. So that was grand. So Woody said, yeah, I'll be here in a, probably a week's time. So we not taught no, no more about it. Um, so a week went by 
and it still hadn't arrived and I was actually getting it delivered to my parents house because myself and Eva were working my mum would normally be there in the afternoon so if she wasn't able to get it in the morning she went could get it in the afternoon so the late late tie show on that year was happening around the 29th of November it was towards the end of the month and uh, the, on the Monday beforehand I think it was the, the Christmas tree hadn't arrived and this was two weeks down the road and I was getting a bit confused so maybe I misread it maybe it was going to deliver it at some stage and I looked back in my emails and it wasn't there so that was that was grand and so Monday didn't come in Tuesday didn't come in so Wednesday arrived and I was like getting a bit sweaty and he wanted this Christmas tree in the house erected up and available for um, the toy show as is tradition in my family and in her family and that was grand so emailed um, Woody's and Woody said um, that had been dispatched it had been um, out, for, out for delivery it should be with you so that was grand I said maybe it's on the way maybe it'll come to Thursday so Thursday arrived and no sign my mom was on to my mom again nothing there so I was like alright oh, I'm gonna have to get this um, sorted so I took it upon myself to email Woody's um, again and I said basically that we had moved into our new house and our two young kids um, were getting very upset that the Christmas tree hadn't arrived. We didn't have any children, myself and Eve. But, you know, I thought if I pulled at the heartstrings, I'd get a better response. The girls were getting very upset in the house that we had moved into this new house. And they didn't feel that it was Christmas yet because the tree wasn't up for the, going to be up for the late late toy show. And it would ruin their first Christmas in the new house. Um, no sooner had I sent this off than a girl in Woody's came back to me immediately and said, Pierce, I'm very sorry for the confusion and the delay in delivery of this tree but we have a, a tree in Kulak uh, store and it's there if you want it's the exact same tree that you ordered from the other store but we'll we'll have it on reserve if you want to pick it up today so I went down I picked it up um, and we had it up then for the late late show the following Friday all was well with the world the next Monday the tree arrived to my mother's house so I now had two trees for the price of one me being the honest being that I was I returned it to Woody's because they were good enough to get the tree for me in the first place and we had it for Christmas in the end so that's my little Christmas story that's where the situation we are this is the earliest I've ever had a Christmas tree up and I hope next year that I won't have to have it up till the late late toy show because there won't be any reason to bring additional cheer to our lives because we won't be on a lockdown we'll be married we will have uh, first Christmas together as a married couple we will all be healthy free from lockdowns and free from isolations and free from everything as a country and as a as, as a society we will be celebrating in with pub crawls and Christmas parties and we'll be getting excited for the first Christmas out of out of lockdown and restrictions as a nation thanks very much for listening today we reviewed three topics that I thought made the news this week in my world of course, the presidential election. We looked at Leo Varadkar and his conduct in terms of leaking or potential sharing of government information with an inappropriate party and the process of that and how he apologised for that in full within the doll in the recent week. And then we discussed and I shared with you um, how we have decided this week and uh, this weekend, the guts of seven weeks till Christmas, to pour up our Christmas tree, bring additional happiness, cheer in this lockdown to our household. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Check out the other podcasts that are available on your normal channels. And I will talk to you next week when we review what has made the topics. And I hope it's the goal. Thanks for listening. Take care and have a good week. Bye bye.